Welcome to the third in our series of Listen, Learn, and Lead interviews around the campus of Naval Post Graduate School. On this particular interview, I have brought together four of our outstanding students talking about what now is today a very relevant topic that should be a topic for all leaders, and that is the inclusion, diversity, and the issues of race that is part of our nation's dialogue right now. And with these four leaders, we're going to, to explore how we in the military and how we as leaders can help to lead the nation in this important dialogue. So from my left, I'm going to ask each of uh, my guests to please give us their name and what they've done in the, in the military and where they went to school. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me, ma'am. Uh, my name is Brandon Carter. Um, I've been a surface warfare with the engineering duty option. Uh, my first ship, I was uh, the ordnance officer, the gunnery officer, and the first lieutenant on the USS Bainbridge, DDG 96. And then for my second tour, I was the electrical officer on LHD 7, USS Iwo Jima. Great, thank you very much. Good afternoon, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Byron Wilson. Uh, I have my undergrad degree in uh, criminal justice administration from Columbia College in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, I got a master's of business administration from Columbia Southern University online while I was an enlisted troop in the Air Force. Gained my uh, commission through officer training school in 2017. So now I'm here in the Naval Post Graduate School. Great, thank you. Ma'am, honored to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Matt Bowman, uh, graduate from the Naval Academy uh, and was commissioned a second lieutenant and became a communications officer. I've served in infantry battalions uh, with the Marine Expeditionary Unit as a foreign security force advisor in Afghanistan and the Republic of Georgia and uh, at the Marine Corps Network Operations Security Center uh, and had uh, a great opportunity to serve as a White House social aide uh, in the Obama administration. Great, thank you. Good afternoon, ma'am. Uh, Lieutenant J.D. Thomas, uh, graduate of Georgia Southern University, um, prior enlisted. Um, spent my first tour out in on the USS Lassen in Yakuska, Japan. I was a repair officer there. Uh, second tour, I did a uh, staff duty out in Jacksonville, Florida, under Desron at Desron 40, and that was right before I came out here. So great. So one of the reasons why I asked uh, for all of you as leaders is that because we had begun an NNOA uh, chapter here, we actually had brought it back. So Matt, I know that you've been the leader and the president of NNOA. Could you, could you talk about NNOA a little bit and how you see it here at NPS? Yes ma'am, thank you. So NNOA is the National Naval Officers Association. It's an opportunity for uh, the sea services, the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard uh, to uh, engage with each other as peers, engage with leaders, uh, and engage with their local community. So here at Monterey, um, we try to reach out to our local community, whether it's for a uh, charity drive or to provide mentorship to the youth at Monterey High School. Uh, engaging with each other, we try to have socials and we've had a couple of Zoom meetings where we've been able to talk to each other about what's going on and, um, and issues and concerns that students are having. Uh, and then as an opportunity to engage with senior leaders, uh, we take those concerns uh, and then we have access just similar to this this conversation uh, or other NNOA uh, functions where we have senior leaders, flag officers and general officers where we can communicate um, those thoughts, ideas and receive both mentorship and advocacy from them. So we'll talk about the senior leaders in a minute, but gosh, one year of being back into, the, into NPS and you did a marvelous project during Martin Luther King. 
uh, uh, month, and it was called a Day On rather than a Day Off. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, ma'am. I appreciate it. So sure. uh, our community outreach lead, Lieutenant Brandon Carter, uh, has a lot of contacts with uh, the Veterans Transition Center uh, and was able to uh, help us organize a, a donation drive uh, for the Veterans Transition Center, which helps homeless veterans in the Monterey Peninsula. Yeah, so there was one of the things I noticed, Brandon, in this project that uh, there were clothes that are needed by, by our veterans. Can you talk a little bit about what you most identified as the needs for this? Yes, ma'am. So uh, one of the biggest things that we saw as a need was first just undergarments for the, for the people who were there at the Veterans Transition yeah. Center. Uh, they really don't have too much to their name, uh, about $45 uh, per uh, person or family, and that's it that they get. So anything that we could provide from food to clothing uh, were, were our opportunity, gave us an opportunity to provide that. And uh, it was their priority. That's really what they wanted. So we banded together and we were able to do that, spread it out throughout the school, and we had great support. That's great. So let's get down to, I mean, that's all great stuff, and thank you for doing that. Let's get down to, 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 what we are, to where we are today and to some of the opportunities as well as the challenges and some of the pain of, of where we are. You all, all in the military, you, you've served very, very well with excellence, and yet we're in this kind of a vice of where the country is right now. So I'd like to get a sense of, from, from you as to what you would aspire to see that would come out of this. What is it that, that you want uh, everybody who is listening to this interview to know from you as leaders about the moment in time of our country. You want to start there, Lieutenant? Sure, sure ma'am. So, so what I would like to see the most is just the continued dialogue, um, people treating each other with dignity and respect, and knowing that I can enter a room as the sole black officer and feel comfortable uh, because I know that my brother and sister in arms respects me as an individual in as a black officer, um, that they understand the things that I have been through and they have acknowledged it, they recognize it, and we're, we're able to have those types of discussions and conversations. Um, as I stated before, I truly believe that people based on their experiences, they, they carry their own bag of rocks. And, and I understand it doesn't matter what color or creed or, or sex or religion um, that you have, everyone has a bag of rocks based on their own personal experiences. And I think it's a time right now to start sharing those experiences so that we can start respecting each other as individuals, as brothers and sisters, and carry on just like that. So to that point, I think that the timing has been quite exquisite, that the Air Force now has the first black service chief, and General Brown, and his stories, and, and he's telling openly in a narrative, an American story, and he's doing it as, as a leader, but one of his great stories was he had, he had earned his wings as, as a jet pilot, he was an accomplished jet pilot, he would walk in and be with other, other pilots in his uniform, and he'd be asked, are you a pilot? And so that gets to your point about being able to walk in and be fully accepted, right? Absolutely. So can we talk about a little bit about unconscious bias in that context? Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, sure. So uh, unconscious bias is, is how we see it is that everyone, because of those bag of rocks that they carry, everyone comes into a conversation with their own kind of like preconceived notions, their own beliefs and um, from their backgrounds and their experiences. So. Um, kind of what we alluded to in an earlier conversation, you know, we all wear this uniform, that's supposed to be your color. But if you look at a person, you start to see that person for their skin color as opposed to, you know, them being your brother or sister in arms. So having 
that unconscious bias can lead you to believe or lead you to make decisions that you really don't pay attention to that could negatively affect someone or to like conscious, consciously exclude someone from an activity. And uh, I always use this example of having a, say a senior uh, officer, say we're on the ship and we're in a command and that senior officer happens to be a white man and he wants to go out and do like some activity. He says, well, hey, let's go play golf, right? Well, a lot of times the quote minorities on board might be a little hesitant to, to go play golf. So traditionally what will happen is the only, pe only people that go play golf with him are the people that look like him. And they engage in those conversations and those have those in that activity that you probably wouldn't engage in while they're on the ship. So it's just kind of like a conscious or unconscious exclusion from that unconscious bias, if that makes sense. Oh, no, yes, it does. And I will tell you that, well, I, I want to talk about your thesis, too, in a moment along that yes, same sir. line, J.D. So when these things happen, so this unconscious bias, and how do we engage as a military leadership? Uh, in the kind of conversation that helps us along. So, so talk to me about what we as military leaders should be doing, whether or not it is at the first and second lieutenant uh, level, or at the retired three-star level, or at the colonel or captain level. How do you want to see the dialogue so that it's helpful, it's useful, and what's not helpful and what's not useful? Anybody want to start there? Yes, ma'am, if, if I may. Sure. The, uh, I think the military has this opportunity um, to have this dialogue and have it plain um, and show what right looks like for uh, the rest of the nation. Um, we have the opportunity to sit down uh, and lead our Marines, our sailors, our airmen, and our soldiers um, and have these very open conversations um, to ask, what does this mean to you? Um, we are courageous. We are type A by nature. Uh, and we have opinions and we want to make sure that we can go change the world, right? I, I just recently read someone who's a, a, a reserve colonel. He said that um, I have a super, Superman alter ego. Um, <laughs> and that's when we put this uniform on, we know that we can go change the world. So if we have that mentality, we have the opportunity to sit down and have honest dialogue and honest conversations and be able um, to have the personal fortitude and the moral courage to listen and, und and to understand um, and to maybe have uh, a term that I've heard recently is some cognitive agility and think that maybe, maybe I've been wrong. Maybe I haven't been looking at this from the same, uh, from the right perspective. Maybe I do have these unconscious biases and have a chance to have the moral courage to look inside of yourself, to have some introspective um, and if necessary to change. That is just superb. Yeah. So. Uh Go for it. I 100% agree. And, and before, though, we, we go out there and change that world because we have this, this uniform on, it has to start with within, right? I, I believe that the hugest hurdle to equality is unexamined behavior, internal unexamined behavior. If we don't check ourselves and we don't recognize that we are treating someone or something or a, a group of people differently, then there, there is no change. And, and I challenge everyone to, to check themselves and to think about how they are treating or responding in, in almost every situation. I, I was listening to, to a TED talk a couple of days ago and the individual was talking about, well, had everyone close their eyes and talk about, uh, and they provided them with a scenario and they said, hey, you know, you're late and to, to your flight and uh, you finally get there and you get on board and, and the pilot says, hey, everything's gonna be fine, just go ahead and take your seat and they take off. And they asked uh, everyone in the group, all right, so." Raise your hand if you thought the pilot 
was black and no one raised their hand. You know, so it's just, that's a, it's an example of unconscious bias. It's just people in, you know, certain situations and certain positions may not necessarily be of color. And so those are things just as simple as that, just challenging yourself to put something that is unfamiliar and make it unfamiliar to you in, in your mind. Well said. And kind of to touch on their points, that acknowledgement is important from the leaders. Um, we go through things that everyone in the military, we go through things that are indeed a problem for us and we'll internalize it uh, without reaching out and asking for help. Uh, we'll instead utilize what we know, our experience, our ego, whatever, to protect ourselves. Understood, completely understood. But at the same time, we need other people to understand what those biases may be. If we don't know that our feelings are impacting other people, they're, they're outwardly uh, manifesting themselves, then we're not going to be able to get that assessment that we need. So with that in mind, I think that having those tough conversations and making them normal will, will allow us to deepen the conversation even further to make change. So making tough conversations normal. That's a, that's a great phrase also. And I think that we in the, in the military, you know, we're kind of known for being very straightforward and we're not very uh, demure. We don't beat around the bush very much because that's not our culture. So it's an interesting comment about making tough discussions normal. That, that's really an interesting thing. So I listen to you. I always listen to JD and I, and I listen to both of you. And I see a finger pointing at, at me because we're all about accountability, right? This is, a, this is also a culture of accountability. So what, what would you say to me, and, and if I'm a voice for senior leaders in the military, what do you want me to do? So, ma'am, I, I think NPS has the opportunity as an educational uh, organization, as an educational institution, has the opportunity to show, um, show research into unconscious bias, has the opportunity to show um, what it looks like to look into unconscious bias, conscious inclusion, to, to lead that study, right? We have studies on um, how, how your sleep cycle affects your, your day. We have studies on um, signature management. Uh, we have studies on, on all these different topics. Um, we, can lead, we can lead in uh, creating a study on what does it look like to have unconscious bias? I tell you, I have training, I have annual training every year uh, from the Marine Corps to tell me not to smoke. I haven't smoked I don't smoke. Uh, I don't use tobacco products. But every year I have to do training on tobacco secession. We don't have a regular conversation about unconscious biases. Uh, that can start here. This is an educational that's, institution. That's a great comment. So now this was a perfect layup, JD, for your thesis. So why don't you talk to us about what, what you are studying because that okay. gets to the point. Yes, ma'am. Um, so, uh, my, my, my thesis, and, and this is with my thesis partner, Lieutenant Commander Caprice Dunklin, um, what we've been focusing on are the factors that affect uh, retention for first-term sailors. Um, and what we, what we did was we went out and we actually performed a number of, uh, we, we issued a survey across a few different ships and took first-term sailors, and after that we allowed, to, allowed them to come and do like perform an interview with us and just talk one-on-one -on -one about the things that matter to them the most and what things that don't in terms of them signing up to stay or leave the military, right? And what we've found through our analysis is that the difference, that there are differences between races, ethnicities, and genders. 
And what so happened is, again, I hate this term minority, but the, we're calling it the underrepresented groups. We're finding out that there's the, the big difference is between the social needs and your social needs are your interpersonal relationships with role models, peers, mentors and leadership. And we're finding that they're being they feel they're being treated different, that they don't have the same opportunities. We throw around this, this term, the glass ceiling. A lot of the underrepresented groups see this glass ceiling. Why is that? They don't see the mentors. They don't see themselves as mentors mm -hmm. or, or having those mentors. Um, I can remember going to your office one day and um, you were walking by and I was looking at the wall. So there's about, I want to say, 30 to 50 pictures on about the wall 50, yeah. of all superintendents from NPS. There's only two women and the rest are white men. So that sends a signal to, to me like, eh, I don't think I can do that. That's what our thesis talks about. That's what we're looking at is though, and how to affect, positively affect, affect retention for these underrepresented groups. Like what would make them want to come in and stay? So one of the other interesting things here, and I'm gonna put this to Matt here for a minute. So this is a really interesting question and actually it's gonna become an interesting increasing dilemma. Um, when I was talking to the superintendent uh, at the Naval Academy last year, he said that the incoming class of 2019, for the first time in Naval Academy history, white males were the minority. Now, if you go and you look at so many of our terrific young officers, well, no matter where they came from for a, a, uh, a source for college, you become very competitive and you become very attractive for recruiting. So there's jobs out there, you know, as, as jobs are. But how do we beat back this issue? Because if this is the case, if now if the folks who are coming into Roxy or coming into the academies, that the white male is the minority, that means we need to do some really good work on retaining mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. So get, getting back to JD's point, how do we do that? How do we do that? I think we do our best to retain by, again, bridging that gap between understanding. Uh, when people feel comfortable where they are, when people feel motivated to work their hardest in an environment, they will. Um, and a lot of times people are products of their environment. Depending on what that looks like, they may veer away from a challenge or fully accept it and crush through it. So with that in mind, I think that leaders need to try to find those strengths in people and understand them to a point to where they can really continue to motivate them and make them the best version of themselves. So leaders do matter, no matter where, where we are, right? Absolutely. Yes. Leaders yes. do matter. Yes. Some other things about that? I agree with you. I also think that, um, to JD's point earlier, is we have to have mentors that care about us and acknowledge us and recognize where we've been and also see the potential that we have. When we walk down a hallway and we see, you know, 50 pictures of people that don't look like us, it instantly makes us feel as if we can't do it. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm grown, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old guy who's been in the service, for, you know, for 10 years and lived a life prior to, but I'm, I'm still young as an officer. And so I do need, still need guidance and mentorship, regardless of your color. It's not about diversity based on your skin or your race, right? It's about diversity of thought. And I think that if once individuals seek people that are knowledgeable, who, who want to be here, who want to serve with pride and, and honor, right, and, and want to climb uh, 
past that glass ceiling that we were talking about before, I think that we should be afforded that opportunity regardless of what we look like. And so that starts with conversation. It starts with acknowledging, acknowledgement of what we've been through and being not afraid to, to go through that barrier of color. So what have I not asked you? What do you say, gosh, she's avoiding something here? What's, what's the question I've not asked you that you want to be able to answer? I, I'd say, how do we identify, um, how do we identify systemic racism in, in, the, in our system? Does, does it exist, really? And, and I think there's a chance for, at MPS, for us to, again, show an opportunity, show um, what right looks like in just having that tough conversation, that tough introspective and saying, are there, are there um, systemic racism issues that we have within the institution? I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I honestly don't. Um, but I think that if we can, if, if we as junior and, and mid-tier officers can see our leaders um, having that, that courage, as we talked about before, that moral courage to take a look inside and, and say, Let's really take a look. Let's let's peel back the onion um, until it hurts, and really just understand what does it look like here. What are we doing the right things? Um, I think that will help retain those those young officers who are who feel underrepresented. You know, I'm a history major, so when I see uh, a wall of 50 um, superintendents, 48 of whom are white men, I'm not necessarily shocked. Um, I'm a history major. I, I understand the history of this nation. I understand. Um, I understand how that's still not going to. That's not going to change tomorrow because we don't have necessarily, as, as it's been mentioned, a lot of senior officers uh, of, of underrepresented communities. And I think all I, I think all of us would like to just see someone say why, just say why, and then really take that introspective. I think that would really uh, that would really help people feel welcome, help, help people feel that, you know what, they care. This is, this is when, when the dust settles, I think this will continue on, that this, these tough conversations will be normalized. Okay, how about you? What, what have I not asked? Um, I think you're asking all of the right questions. Um, I think my, from my perspective, seeing a, a leader such as you, a fellow minority, is how I'll put it, is, not a, a, along with the continued dialogue, but the, the thing, my issue, or not really an issue, but the thing that comes into play when it, we're, we're not in the room or we're not present, you don't have those perspectives of the minorities, or when, say, a senior officer who may be a white male comes to talk to you and says, hey, ma'am, what, what am I supposed to do? How do I handle this? I would hope that you're able to articulate to him or her to say, hey, you should see color. You should see the difference. You should be able to mentor any and everyone based on your background and bridge that gap to their background to help manage them to get to where you are. Not focus on your unconscious biases, right? right? So the question is, falls on, hey, going forth, how can we do that? And Matt hit on it earlier, where you've got, we'd never thought that we could change the culture of the service community. But this circadian rhythm thing since shockwaves, right? Mm -hmm. It started through some tragedies, ship collisions, right? Here's our tragedy, Mr. Floyd, Mr. Aubrey. Mm -hmm. So I think MPS could be that change that the services will respect 
and honor because, hey, this is where we send all our problems anyway, and NPS fixes. Let NPS fix it. Let, uh, let them show us what we should be doing. And I'll No, no, no. So here's my commitment to you, and is this. I will always ask why, but I will always also add how. Okay, so because you have to be able to do that, so why will get you to understanding, but how gets you to moving to moving ahead. So I will always ask why and how. I will try to make the difficult conversations more normal, but it's not just me. Okay, so yes, hold up with people. This is team sport. Yes, you know? right. so, yes, yes ma'am. So this is that, and JD again. You and I have had many different discussions and conversations, and you have my commitment to all. Making sure that NPS is that place that solves problems. Your your metaphor is great, and so you have my commitment to that. I want to thank you all very much for this terrific conversation. I would invite you that Matt, you're going to be leaving here soon, and so is JD. But I would ask you come to my office and tell me what I need what I need to learn. Accountability and mentorship goes both ways, right? Yeah. So I call this covenant leadership, where I have accountability for myself, but obligations to you. And so I call it kind of a covenant leadership. And so you have that for me, but this is, there are many people in this place who want this to be better. There are just people here who are terrific. And all that we need to do is to come together to that conversation that you've talked about. So I want to thank you very much for your time. And I wish you good things out in the fleet and the force. And, uh, and for your leadership, and that you continue to lead and keep your voice. I want to thank those who have been listening to this interview, and to help me to continue the dialogue, help me to understand what more we need to be able to talk about. I have a point of view, but you do too. So I would ask that, that you give me a dialogue, give me some feedback and some input. How can we continue on making these difficult discussions more normal? Thank you very much.